Hey everyone, I'm Matt Chapman and the host of Beta 5. This podcast aims to cultivate critical thinking about human development and best practices for building a stronger psychology, both for competition climbing and for pushing your limits as a climber, indoors or outdoors. My goal is to provide the best content for athletes who want to grow their understanding of how the mind works under high-pressure circumstances and build strategies for a bulletproof mental game. And it starts right now on Beta 5. The following program addresses the issue of and issues around eating disorders. Some may find the content triggering. Please see the show notes for support resources. Kai Leitner is not a new name in the climbing world. He's only 21 years old, but Kai has been collecting national and world championship medals and checking off some serious outdoor climbing grades since the age of 11. I've been to more than one USA Climbing Nationals where I watched Kai cruise through cruxes that callously expelled the rest of the field. Today, Kai is known for many things, including being one of the best climbers in the world, but he is also an active yet humble advocate for equal rights and opportunities for everyone. He is the founder of C4C Climbing for Change, an important and impactful non-for-profit which we will talk about a bit later. And he's also the son of Connie Leitner, a mom whose inspired and indelible guidance has become as well known for all the right reasons as her son has. In 2020, Kai spoke up about his struggle with a serious eating disorder during his years as a top youth climber. In a blog post called Reflections on My Rock Climbing Journey, Kai put it all out there and sent essential shockwaves through the industry especially because when it comes to the topic of eating disorders and the pressure to weigh less in this game, most of the conversation at that point had been focused on female climbers. As a climbing coach, I watch World Cup competitions and I can see the influence of these events in local gyms and in youth climbing programs. You know, the setters are inspired to create beautiful boulders, the gyms are inspired to acquire the latest dual texture volumes, and the young climbers are inspired to be like their climbing heroes. And the reality that seems to be clear to everyone is that thin and lighter is better. This message is, I mean, it's already deeply ingrained in popular culture and social media, but when it comes to climbing, you know, it's not often as much about body image as it is about performance. Because these young athletes want to perform their best, and if thin and light is the formula, they'll do whatever it takes. So in this, the final episode of Beta 5 Season 1, I asked Kai to help us navigate this issue. Kai, thank you so much for being here. Why did you write Reflections on My Rock Climbing Journey? And why have you continued to speak up about this subject? We're in a sport that heavily relies on strength to weight ratio. And so there's only two sides to that. Either you get stronger or you weigh less in order to maximize that ratio. And it's a dangerous game that is very easy to get too far, especially when it happens in children. And so I thought that it was important not only for um, just people in the community in general, but children who look up to me through the youth climbing, through um, any sphere, to let them know that, like, I, I understand that, that this is a thing and that there's a lot of pressures going around, but it's not the only way to be successful in that. Um, I mean, there are other people who are going through this and that you shouldn't feel embarrassed or ashamed to speak about it or you get help about it. Mm -hmm. I think that for a lot of men, um, 
it's so easy to think that this is a girl problem or this is something that, that I sh shouldn't have to deal with or to just rationalize it being like, this is purely for performance. And so it's like, no, this can get too far. And, and not only that, but also raising awareness for the, the parents and for the coaches, because a lot of times patterns can arise that are really harmful that people miss because whether they're growing, whether something's going on, but it's like making sure you're attentive and making sure you're paying attention to if your child's eating habits or exercising habits or things are off or just if they're like just feeling the pressure of competition. It's like making sure that you're being aware of the signs before it's too late. Yeah, what is too late? I mean, what does going too far mean, especially given the reality that this strength to weight ratio is a real factor, right? And even more so for top competition athletes. I'd be pretty disingenuous if I said that um, thinking about climbing in terms of weight and food isn't a small part of that process. I mean, when we're, you're training at this elite of a level, there is a lot of factors that come into play to being a successful athlete. And one of those is managing your, your health and your nutrition and being cognizant of what you're putting inside of your body. But I think that what bringing too far means is hmm, I think that the minute that you start to even like demonize your eating habits, demonize what you're doing, um, like not for, so, so for me personally, I feel like what, what brought it too far was when I started to see food more so like as the enemy or as something that will weigh me down for practice or something that wouldn't help me in my performance. I think that when you don't see it all as like a balanced part of the process, that's when things start to get too far. Or when, I mean, oh, this is a rough topic to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Are you okay with this? Because we, we can... It's fine. Um, okay. It's just... I, I've seen it go too far with a lot of athletes where people will spend, well, my, my competitors or my teammates and such will, will be in the gym for six, seven hours at a time for a training camp. And all that will be eaten is a cliff bar and a water bottle. And people are so open to, to, to speak about how like, Oh yeah, like I need to lose weight. I need to cut calories. I need to do this or that. And I think to some extent, it's you have to be aware of uh, what's best for your body and for optimal performance. But it just when it's an obsession, when it's what dominates your life and it does it for, for a year round process for years to come, I think that's when it's too far. Would you be willing to share a little bit of your own journey and how this relationship with food and climbing performance and health played out for you? Yeah, um, I think for me, especially. When, when I guess for me, like, I understood from a young age that I was just a bigger athlete. I mean, not only because I was taller, but because I was just built a bit stockier than most others. I, I was never just, I was never small by nature. <laughs> My family is a small by nature. So I realized that, oh, like, if I felt that as a kid, that if I wanted to be better at the sport, that I needed to be more cognizant of what I ate and what my size was so that I could, you know, fit the mold of the sport so that I could be lighter and maximize that ratio. But I think for me, it was always like a, a performance perspective. 
like oh like i i have to do this because that's, it's just what you do because even i i started doing my first open competitions uh making finals in my first open competitions when i was like 13 and being an iso watching my idols sit next to me talking about um, just ways that they've learned to lose weight and, you know, keep, keep the numbers down and to, you know, get to, to get stronger. It was just a normal part of the process and conversation. So I thought that that, that was just how it was. This is what you did. I think, and honestly, I didn't even notice when it got too far. I didn't even notice when I was like, really really skinny because i didn't see it in the mirror i didn't see it in myself i i it, it never even crossed my mind i think more so the people around me noticed way before i did um as a matter of fact i think that the the time in which i realized oh well maybe this is a bit too much is when i was literally in the doctor's office because my mom who was if anyone's met her is a very attentive person um watch was like literally picked me up from school and told me we were going home but instead of going home we went to a pediatrician and i was like confused i didn't understand what was going on and then when the doctor came in and told me that my liver was literally like a small fraction away from failure because i wasn't getting the nutrition that i needed i was like oh well maybe this is a problem but it took till that moment and then realizing that I was severely underweight and, and that people were talking and noticing for me to realize, oh, like maybe this is too far because like I just you don't really have that level of self-awareness, I guess, when you're in the process, when you're in the zone because you're like, oh, like this is just this is just what you do. Yeah, the process by which this plays out in our lives, especially when we're young, is is definitely not linear, right? It's not straightforward, as you said. So it's not easy to navigate, yet we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about potential risks that can deeply affect, at the very least, our climbing, and at worst, our psychology, our mental well-being, as well as our actual functional health. Are, are these the risks that, that you see? I think, I think the biggest damage, sorry, not damage, I think, I think the biggest, the scariest thing about doing it is that often yeah you you just don't notice when it goes too far it's like the line from being cognizant and aware of body image to full-blown eating disorder is like not as obvious as people think it is because you just gradually develop worse and worse eating habits <laughs> it's like at first it's like oh like i probably shouldn't eat sweets or sugar and ice cream and then it develops to uh, suddenly like you're only eating like a meal a day or you're you're not like because it just like the process gets gradually gradually more restrictive to the point where you're like like you just don't even notice the fact that you um are putting all of this time energy and worth into how much you're consuming and how much calories your body isn't taking and i think that from a health perspective, yeah, it's it's it can be damaging. It can cause permanent damage to your organs, to your health, and also um, from a climbing perspective, a lot of athletes I've seen um, who have gone through eating disorders haven't really come back on the other side in terms of their performance. It's like you 
you lose a lot of weight, you perform really well, and then once your body crashes because it's not getting the nutrition that it needs, a lot of times athletes never really climb the same or never even really stick to the sport because of how psychologically damaging it is. Absolutely. What strategies can industry leaders like the IFSC put in place to combat this issue? And what changes in this regard would you like to see in the climbing industry? Um, I actually think that from yeah, a governing body perspective, like the IFSC, and maybe even some national governing bodies, I'm not sure, but um, they might be trying to combat it or maybe not on purpose, maybe just through the development of the sport, but a lot of the setting has changed. And with the setting changes, a lot of the athletes are as small as they used to be because the lead climbs are more dynamic and powerful and shorter. And because of that, you need more muscle mass and you need to be able to, to jump and be more powerful of an athlete. You can't do that if you're starving a body of nutrients. And so I think in general, a lot of the athletes are getting bigger, which which is, I mean, at least bigger from years past. It doesn't look like every athlete in the final uh, of World Cups or, or high-level competition is as small as it used to be, which is kind of cool. Um, but I think also it can be pretty difficult from a liability perspective sometimes for a lot of these federations to to just directly hold people accountable because it's a lot of it's speculation. I mean, some people are just smaller uh, by nature, and how do you how do you measure that? Um, I mean, I think it's, it can be obvious to the naked eye sometimes, but on paper, it's not always that simple. So I've learned. Um, but I think uh, from a community level, from your parents, from your coaches, I think it's important because uh, eating disorders is by far not a new concept in climbing. By far. And it's been a problem in the past and it will be a problem in the future. And so I I think it starts with uh, as the sport grows and as more money and funding and, and large coaching uh, programs become more prevalent in the sport, just having programs that focus on that nutrition side and having coaches that are just a bit more aware of um, the health and well-being of their children. Because at the end of the day, a lot of times when you have these big camps and, and teams the coaches are seeing your child just as much as the parents are they are they're like third fourth parents and so it's just it's almost just as important that they're aware of what's going on with you whether it's mental health wise with in in an onward than your parents are and having those resources available like like a sports psychologist like you know a nutritionist like people who actually like medically or professionally know what they're doing and can help you through that process is super important and having those people whether it's on staff in the federation or or if we get there at a local level at a club level will be super important for sure clubs and federations should be allocating resources and organizing professional development for coaches and staff and just building a better support network around our young athletes kai thank you for sharing what you did can we talk a little bit about C4C and how it got started and what is the function of Climbing for Change? Absolutely. Um, so right now, actually, in at the end of the month, on July 30th, it'll be the year anniversary is when I first launched Climbing for Change. And it's kind of crazy to think because it was sort of like a 
uh, a reactionary thing that I decided to do in the midst of all that was going on last year in the summer. And it was just like, oh, like, let me just start this nonprofit organization so that I can, you know, be more impactful in the community. And it's been crazy. Like we, we started a program in Atlanta where we work with local, the local government there in a suburb of College Park. And then we partnered with Kevin Jorgensen and One Climb and Stone Summit Climbing to build a climbing wall and a recreation center and then transportation, free transportation to the climbing gym where they're going to be offering programs and fostering those kids' talent and interest in the sport and in the outdoors in general. Um, we have, I think, five grant programs right now through my nonprofit that we're actually just closed the window of our second uh, grant cycle. So we get to offer a whole new slew of people, like different opportunities in the outdoors. I think that a big part of climbing that makes it such a cool sport is the community and the lifelong connection you end up making, not only with the sport, but with the outdoors in general. I think that as human beings, we have an innate connection to nature. And the further that connection is, the more negatively impactful that is on our mental health. And so I feel like everybody should be able to have access and know that these spaces are available and accepting for them. And that's just, that, that is the mission of my nonprofit to just make this environment, this space as diverse as possible and start chipping away at those barriers of entry so we can make our sport more inclusive. It really does sound amazing. How can we get involved? The Climate for Change website is www.climbing4change.org. You can go on there to review our grant programs if you want to apply. You can actually look at our DEI Connections page, which is a newer feature of our website where we've created a database, a national database, of all of the diversity programs, uh, coalitions, all the things that are happening in different cities across the country so that people can be aware of the programs that exist in their communities and kind of get a start into getting more acclimated and comfortable where they are. And if you want to be a part of the organization right now, COVID is just lifting. And so it's only with so many physical things we can do in terms of programming and such. But you can uh, go to our social media pages and follow us um, at Climbing the Number Four Change on Facebook and Instagram. You can like, you can share to raise awareness for our initiatives and programs and to, to help uh, get more people to apply and be a part of the process. Um, you can also send donations. We are a nonprofit and we need money to help getting uh, people those grants and, and consulting with more companies and, and just creating more impact uh, in different communities across the country. So don donations are, are readily welcome. <laughs> you can find the Climbing for Change website in the show notes, along with a link to Kai's post, Reflections on My Rock Climbing Journey, and I'll also include Kai's website. The issues we talked about today are not easy to navigate. You know, eating disorders, whether instigated by a desire to perform well or by some other personal insecurity, they don't just begin on some random Tuesday afternoon. Ideas about what or what not to eat slowly morph into patterns of behavior, which slowly morph into habits and then a lifestyle. And to complicate matters, the damage that can be caused is mostly invisible because our bodies will strive to adapt to manage the deficit, right? Just like our mindset will continue to rationalize and reason for why we should stay the course. But unlike how they begin, 
eating disorders can make themselves known in very sudden ways, like liver failure or an emotional breakdown. Furthermore, our relationship with food feels very personal, you know, and we tend to keep personal stuff to ourselves. But as an educator and as a coach to teenagers for the past 15 years, I've seen way too many broken hearts and disfigured opinions of self-worth and trips to the hospital and demolished visions of a happy and healthy future, all of which are born from a toxic relationship with food. And I can tell you for sure that regardless of how personal or complicated the issue is, it exists in the climbing industry. And not in a small way, not, not as a low impact entity. And it's our responsibility as industry leaders, including federations, coaches, professional athletes, and yeah, social media influencers, to help build structures of support for young people. And to make sure that this topic is front and center. Because we are not just aiming to produce the next batch of Olympians, right? We are hopefully aiming to cultivate athletes who can use all that they learn through climbing, like Kai Leitner continues to do, to be the best versions of themselves in the world and to help one another and to bring about positive change in every community that we inhabit. Let's not let our focus become so performance rich and results based that we forget to take care of the young people who will follow the most predominant ideas for becoming a top athlete. And the concept of trying to weigh less if not guided and mentored can lead to damage that really can't be tallied. But we can reshape the predominant messages, right? We can reshape the predominant messages in the climbing industry. We can build positive and informed pathways for how to get to that level of excellence that so many people desire, but do it in a safe and supported way. And I hope we can work together to do that.